Front office, please hold. Welcome to the front office, dollar twenty-five, pal, and welcome to another week of the front office podcast. The fellas are back for a very special episode tonight because tonight is number fifty. Episode number 50 of the Front Office Podcast. Gentlemen, how are we feeling about that? And first and foremost, congratulations on making it to 50. Amazed we didn't Never thought canceled. I'd live this long. Never thought I'd live this long. <laughs> I never thought I would live for, for eight months since we started this podcast. <laughs> I thought we had six months at, at the most. but um, it's the only reason I said yes. <laughs> I figured I'd die within the week. <laughs> I don't have to do one. I'd be obligated to do one episode and then be done. Um, no, honestly, guys, like it's, uh, it's it's pretty incredible when you think about you know the the run that we've kind of put together at already making it to fifty. And for those of you who are saying, well, they haven't been on you know for that long, you're right. But because we mix in interviews here and there in between some of our episodes, we have two episodes a week, some weeks, sometimes only one. It adds up very quickly, but. Again, you know, making it to 50 wouldn't be possible, obviously, without the people behind the scenes. So first and foremost, our, our guy Kyle and the Dime Sports crew, who uh, who do a lot of the editing uh, for the show, as well as, you know, release our, our podcasts uh, on, the, on the Dine's press box. So first and foremost, thank you to them. And then to our awesome sponsors that we've got with the smoke shack btp smokehouse and uh, of course human 2.0 we'll get into them a little bit more um, at the end of the show so because we're at number 50 fellas we're going to change up how we do things a little bit tonight because you know what we've talked about a lot of content since the you know inauguration and I want to cover a lot of content tonight just to give the people what they're looking for. You know what I mean? Give the paying customer what they came here to see, and that's a show. So tonight... Wait, people people are paying for this shit? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of like, you know, like we were talking about earlier, like Jethro's Fantasy League, where every month we end up charging them a little bit more, and we end up giving them a little bit less every time. So... You know, essentially trying to do what all of the streaming services are doing to people by charging them more, by giving them less access to stuff. So fire. Why are you so, <laughs> why, why are you all so angry with me? Damn, shit. Just figure it out, man. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> Jet, you are a glutton for punishment, buddy. You cannot resist just getting absolutely worked every week by everyone in your league, seeing how shitty you are. Listen, I grew up with two older sisters. Y'all met them. And I grew up with two people just shitting on me all the time. So it's like, it's something that's part of my DNA now. <laughs> yeah, but we, we kid because we love and we love because we kid. <laughs> I, 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 appreciate I only that. consider you shit compared to a crusty. <laughs> 
Yeah, you see how you scum. As, oh, I was just, I was just going to say, um, I kid because I, I honestly just can't understand where your brain is every time you set up your league. So, anyways, <laughs> on another note. Yo, listen, I don't know where my brain is, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where it's just, I just say, okay, brain. I don't like you. You don't like me. Let's just let's just head in this on this journey together and see what happens. No, I'm gonna take these stay, edibles, but I'm leaving. Yeah, I'm gonna take some of these edibles, and whatever you do is is your own business. Um, triscuits, triscuits, prison currency, prison currency for the modern prisoner. Oh, <laughs> that should be their new ad slogan, actually. Welcome to Nabisco Hines Correctional Institution. <laughs> Please follow the Keebler Elf to yourself. Oh man, <laughs> parole board by by Kellogg's. Um, <laughs> uh, who thought we worked cereal this board? Many- <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, brings a new meaning to the ser- to the term serial killer. Um, yeah, uh, on another uh, note. Enough dad jokes for the night. Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll have a couple more as it goes on. But uh, again, fellas, um, what we're going to do tonight is we've split up five separate categories in honor of our 50th episode. And with five categories, we have five topics that we're going to bring up, some of which are done by us, some of which are done by listeners, by friends, and, you know, we'll have some fun with it, analyzing a lot of things in the sports world. They're really kind of covering, you know, a wide variety of different things. So I know that Jet and Kev haven't prepared fuck all for this, but... I this, can't right. give you five. I could give you one for each You one. don't have to give five. You give one. That's that literally the instructions that I sent you last week. That was not explained to me. <laughs> that was not explained to me in any way, shape, or form. Kevin, Kevin, you're a teacher. How do you not know how to read? I teach phys ed. <laughs> <laughs> and I do it virtually. Oh so, and I do it like, poorly. Yeah, it's that too. Those who can wow. do and those who can't teach. And those who can't teach, teach phys ed. Wow, the school of rock <laughs> reference. I like it. Oh my God. All right. So um, to kick off the show, we're going to dive into a topic that's kind of relevant in uh, in the cinematic world right now because Kev, I know you brought it, you put it on our radars a while ago uh, with the show Ted Lasso on Apple yeah. Plus. And the reason why that's such an interesting concept is because I think a lot of people are always trying to say, "How would this person have done if they went and crossed over into another sport?" We're seeing that with a lot of Olympians now. We're seeing that with athletes that are trying to dive into boxing to fight, you know, the, the Disney plus or Disney channel star that, you know, I don't know. I don't even want to get into that, but anyways, so we're seeing a lot of crossover into sports. So we decided that we're going to bring up five athletes or coaches that we'd want to see in another sport. Here we go. So Jet, let's start with you. We'll get a brief analysis, and then we'll keep moving on. Okay, the first person I thought of, if he wasn't a Band-Aid, I would love to see as a tight end in the NFL, Zion Williamson. I would love to see that. That guy is a freaking bull. His athleticism makes no sense for his body type. 
And it would just be extremely entertaining to see him boxing out and jumping over safeties and linebackers to catch touchdowns. It'd be so much fun to watch. You know, anyone who thinks that Tony Gonzalez and Antonio Gates were good, I would absolutely say that Zion Williamson would shatter every tight end record in the book. Everyone. I I 100% agree. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So the next one we'll go to is uh, is a little write-in from our buddy Matt Edgeworth, who, for those of you who haven't listened to Trivia 2.0, he was the special guest host that night. Oh, he's special, all right. So speaking of, <laughs> yeah, he's definitely special. So, Edgy, shout out to you, buddy. Thanks again for uh, for helping out. Um, speaking of NBA players crossing over to the NFL, Edge would like to see how LeBron James would have actually done if he if he were a football player. He brought up the question because remember those commercials years ago where he actually had a Cleveland Browns, you know, um, you know, uniform on and they went kind of went through like what it would be like if LeBron played football. Remember those commercials? I think it was Nike that did them. Yeah. I think that piqued a lot of people's interest, especially because LeBron James is kind of like one of those once in a lifetime athletes who he can run, he can jump, he's coordinated, he's smart and he's physical, you know, all of the jokes aside being like all the flopping and whatnot, LeBron James is actually a physical guy. I'm actually interested if you could line up LeBron James at receiver, he doesn't have to worry about inline contact being a tight end. Imagine how good that guy could be as a receiver. And I'm talking like bigger, faster, maybe not faster, but bigger than Calvin Johnson. There's your end zone target. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was an interesting one because, again, I think everybody's thought about what would LeBron James be like if he was in the NFL, and I, you know, I, I, I think that he would actually be quite the receiver if he was actually given the opportunity. So, Kev, what do you have for an athlete or coach you'd like to see crossover? I got nothing. <laughs> but on a serious note. <laughs> So one you athlete, think, you actually have nothing, and you're thinking about it on the screen. No, I, I well, hey, I, who's I, using I Google pick, tonight, bitch? I picked close to five for pretty much all of them because I thought we had to find five. But uh, the one that I've always wanted to see, just because the hype has been there since we were playing football, and I think the biggest thing that was the most uh, alluring about him was. The talk at the time was he would have been better than Michael Vick because he was better than Michael Vick in high school was Allen Iverson. Yes. As a quarterback in football, I would love, I would pay. Cause you know what? Iverson got a lot of flack, uh, you know, kind of for his attitude towards practice with basketball and things of that nature. But, you know, you put him on the field on game day and, uh, and he killed it. Football, although it requires a lot of determination and grit, I almost feel like the NFL is really good at letting superstars get away with things way more than the NBA. So I feel he would have probably enjoyed that experience more if he was a stud in the NFL too. Like we would have seen a guy who just goes out and balls out every Sunday. And if he was better than Michael Vick, right? Like as much as, a you know, Michael Vick, I know he paid his time. I still disgust me what he did with dogs um but he was a hell of a player to watch yeah like early like what let's say 2003 till about 2007 ish in that time frame 
wow, was he fun to watch? Michael Vick. Imagine if we had Michael Vick and an Allen Iverson who was as good or better than Michael Vick playing at the same time in the NFL. That would have been fun to see. I would love to have seen that. So I, I agree. And, and I had posted um, Allen Iverson's high school highlights on our, uh, on our Instagram stories uh, a week ago. And anyone who's seen those highlights, I mean, this guy was doing things well ahead of his time. You know, you're talking about a quarterback who is mobile, who had a big arm and could just make things happen on the fly. He almost reminds you of a more athletic Patrick Mahomes, which is kind of scary when you think about it. And you think about who was the Heisman Trophy winner in 1994, Charlie Ward. If you have Charlie Ward and Allen Iverson as NFL quarterbacks instead of pursuing basketball careers, you probably have what you see in the modern day quarterback, which is an RPO style you know, very improvisational, able to, you know, use their legs as well as their arm and, you know, could have been something where they, you know, kind of move the game ahead 10, 15 years. And now you'd see the evolution of the quarterback. So that was a good one. Um, so this one will be from me. And because we're talking about players, I actually had a couple down, but this is a coach that I actually would have liked to have seen in another sport. And I'm talking about the great Hall of Fame NBA coach Pat Riley. I would have loved to have seen Pat Riley in the NHL because mm-hmm. you look at Pat Riley's New York Knicks teams, that was the most aggressive brand of basketball you will ever see in the NBA and you'll never see it ever again. And Pat Riley won in LA, he won in New York, he won in Miami, three of the toughest markets to win in. And he did it with regularity so you think about the slick back hair the nice suits you know you know kind of looking like you know looking like new york how fun would it be to watch pat riley coaching the new york rangers and just with how much physicality that team would bring to the ice you look you know we talked about the series last year with new york or not the series but the games between new york and washington with tom wilson kind of running amok and taking out all of New York's t- top players, that would never happen with Pat Riley behind that bench. Never happen. Because you know what? He had the no layup rule in the NBA. Well, he's not going to have a breakaway rule in the NHL either. He'll tell his guys to slash a leg, to kick somebody, to do whatever it takes to not give up that breakaway. So again, Pat Riley in the NHL, very, very interesting to me. Give it a good one. All right. I don't like it. I hate your pick. <laughs> <laughs> you're just you're, you're literally just trying to fish for something because both of you are sitting there with your thumb up your ass as I'm as I'm talking. I'm just trying to figure out what the next topic was that you wanted me to cover. Yeah, I know you're not listening. You've already tuned out. That's good. We're about 15 minutes into the show. Good job. What show is it? I'm watching. <laughs> um. And then the last one, so my brother actually uh, texted me, and there's one guy that he actually would like to see. Um, so this is from my brother, Ryan. And, you know, we talked about guys transitioning over to the NFL. But this is an NFL player that he would like to see in Major League Baseball. And that is the Kansas City Chiefs superstar, Patrick Mahomes, if he were to pursue a Major League Baseball career like his father. Uh-huh. So Patrick Mahomes, I don't know if you guys knew this, but when he was in high school, he was throwing a 98 mile an hour fastball. 
I believe it. And as you get older and stronger, Jet, you can probably attest to this working with baseball players. He's probably going to add a few miles an hour to that fastball as he lifts more weights, as he trains more, as his arm gets used to throwing. So yeah, absolutely. I look at a guy like Patrick Mahomes, and I honestly think that he could be like a Shohei Otani type player that could pitch, hit, run, do kind of everything because he's just that type of athlete. So my brother was actually interested in that because he actually said, I think Mahomes could be like a Bo Jackson used to be. Which, you know, Bo, I think, is a once-in-a-lifetime type of athlete. But Patrick Mahomes yeah. is pretty damn impressive, too. I mean, the stuff that he's able to do on the football field, I think, would trans- you know, translate well over to the baseball diamond, 100%. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Maybe, maybe he'll play for the, you know, maybe he'll play for the Royals. Because you know? he, he owns a part of them now, so maybe they'll, they'll call him up, you know, bring him in in spring training like Russell Wilson does with the Yankees every year, and who knows? So we're actually, we're actually going to talk about an ep- – we're going to have an episode around dual sport athletes very soon. So I don't want to get into any more than that. because The best one ever was uh, Bo Jackson. Yeah. And we'll definitely bring that up in our dual sport athlete episode for sure. All right. So the next topic that we want to discuss, because, again, we haven't talked a lot about basketball over the course of our podcast and I wanted to jump into that because we all like basketball. We all watch the Raptors. We all watch, you know, what's going on in the NBA with the top players. So this is going to be a fun one. I want to talk about the five biggest missed draft picks in Raptors history. Here we go. Because obviously we've talked about before NFL flops, you know, picking in the first round. We all know that the Raptors have a very long history of, you know, pre-Messiah of missing on their draft picks and having to make up for it the year after, two years after. So we'll start off with Big Kev, who's Googling like a fiend right now to look at. No, I'm not Googling anything. I already know the answer to this one. All right. So this one, this is an obvious one. You're talking about Toronto Raptors, the basketball team. Yes, the basketball team, not the Toronto Raptors uh, cricket team. Yeah, no, different <laughs> team altogether. Uh, the Mumbai cricket team. <laughs> no, uh, this one's obvious. Why wouldn't they draft LeBron James? Have they seen this guy play? He was tearing it up in high school. Like, freaking stupid yes. on their part. He was incredible in high school. He's been to like a million championship games and won some of them. He's played, he's played on other teams. Why wouldn't he enjoy going to Toronto? He's been to Miami, Cleveland twice, L.A. Toronto would have been nicer than Cleveland, all I'm saying. But honestly, that, that's probably, for me, the biggest missed pick. Why you don't draft that guy? Worst, worst missed pick in history and, like, the last 20-something years. You know, there's, there's so much wrong with what you just said, but, I mean. You're going to say he's not a good player? No, the, the biggest – basically where I was going with this was with picks that they had, who were they able to take after the said pick? Not hypotheticals of why didn't they get the first overall pick when LeBron James was there. Obviously, if LeBron James is the first overall pick when you have the first overall pick, you're going to pick fucking LeBron James. Uh... <laughs> 
Okay, okay. So let me let me retrace my step. Two. Kev didn't understand the question. Let me retrace my step. Two. <laughs> Again, do you want everybody? Because I have some. Kevin is a teacher. Re- everybody, he's a no, teacher. No, let me retrace it. Let me retrace it. Okay, so if we're not going with, uh, you know, they should have picked LeBron James, and we're going with actual picks they had. In my opinion, Charlie Villanueva has got to be the worst pick ever, and not so much for the guys that came after him, right? Not not even for that. But they already had Chris Bosch. Why the hell did they draft an average Villanueva? Why did they go with, uh, you know, I, I guess he had a good NCAA Final Four going for that draft year. But why, when they already had Chris Bosch, did they take him? That would be my answer to that one. Yeah. And, yeah. and LeBron James. And if they could have got Iverson, <laughs> too, those two together. Can, can, I, can I extend on what Kev just said? Absolutely. So to actually answer the question that, that Kyle actually asked, I think that, yes, they mixed, they messed up on the Villanueva uh, draft because they could have had, at the time, ended up being better. Was he like a super, superstar? I wouldn't say. Is he a Hall of Famer? No. But they could have gotten Danny Granger instead of Charlie Villanueva. With Charlie Villanueva went... With both of their first round picks, they could have got Danny Granger. Oh yeah, they 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 done messed up. They done messed up. Um, Jet, what do you got? Because yeah. I know I know that you got something queued up. Don't say uh, LeBron. <laughs> um, if only they could have drafted well, Shaquille O'Neal three years before they <laughs> actually entered the NBA. Hold on, LeBron, Dwayne Wade. They already have Chris Bosh. They're Miami. Why wouldn't they have drafted those guys? <laughs> And Poor Carmelo too. Carmelo was there. Oh, I can't believe Masai missed that. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, uh, this okay. is why we don't talk basketball, everybody. <laughs> or Kawhi Leonard. Why didn't they listen? Draft listen, Kev, Kev is the basketball. Kev is the basketball as I am to the CFL. So we're good. There you uh, go. There All you right, two hundred forty pound D lineman. We're good. Um, <laughs> Uh, Toronto messed up on taking Terrence Ross instead of taking Chris Middleton. And I dread saying it. Uh, they could have also gotten Draymond Green. Uh, I can't stand him very much, but he is a better player than what Terrence Ross ended up being. Ter- Terrence Ross was like a high-flying dunker. Sure, I get it. But in a functional and practical sense of basketball, did he make your team better? He would show flashes kind of here and there, but I would much rather have a Chris Middleton who just came off winning a championship and uh, Draymond Green, who, what, two-time defensive player of the year and has three titles? And Terrence Ross has uh, nothing. So, you know. (laughs) Terrence Ross did end up netting the Raptors Serge Ibaka. So he obviously had a little bit of, of clout in the league, but... I, I see where you're going with that. Terrence Ross was very much like, you know, Kevin's comment about Villanueva being like a Bosch. Terrence Ross was very much like a poor man's DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, putting a, putting two guys in the, in the lineup that are very similar like that could work if they play well off of each other. But as we saw, they did not. Um, I think yeah. what they were trying to go for there was kind of like, you know, what they would have had with Tracy McGrady and Vince Carter had Tracy McGrady stayed. But yeah. 
They, Again. Fuck, they fucked up on that. Yeah. They fucked up real bad on that. Yeah. But so, they have, you, you know this before you move on. Do you think they would they have been able to afford to keep those two guys? Back then, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I just they, I didn't know. They never really made a lot of their bigger moves until McGrady left, and that opened up cap space for them to go out and make some of the trades that they made to bring in, you know, some of these key pieces. You know what I mean? So um, but yeah. There are there are a lot of draft misses in my eyes, so I'm gonna go with uh, with a couple here that I'll throw out, and then you guys can kind of look at. So everybody knows about the Rafael Arujo, you know, debacle that that was. They could have had Andre Iguodala. Everybody mm-hmm. knows about taking Andrea Bargnani first overall when they could have had Lamarcus Aldridge. Everybody knows that one. Those ones are easy. Here are two that I look at and wow, could their fortunes have been a lot different if they had to just made one move instead of these ones. So number one, 2001, you guys know who they picked in the first round? No. Michael Bradley. The tall guy? Michael Bradley was a six foot eight power forward from Villanova. Okay. When Villanova was not the Villanova that they are today. Mm-hmm. Michael Bradley played three years in the NBA and got cut. Never started a game for the Raptors. You know who they could have had with the very next pick, guys? Someone better. Well, just someone who the Memphis Grizzlies just announced are going to be retiring his jersey. Zach Randolph. Ooh, Zebo. Zebo. Wow. Can you imagine Zach Randolph bringing his game to Toronto? At a time where they were actually very strong. You well, 2001, in, yeah, they were very strong. You bring in a guy <laughs> that could offset a guy like Vince Carter because, you know, Zebo, for as you know, little as he could jump, he was a hell of a rebounder. He was a great defender. And he was a stretch four. That guy could shoot threes. So you think about yeah. the style of game that they played. He would have played very well with Vince Carter on a pick and roll type of offense. They may have gotten past the 76ers very very possible because i mean that's a rookie that had an impact right away for portland when he got there and then went on to have a borderline hall of fame career so that's one that i don't think people really have a big depiction of kev is going for a little stroll so jet you and i will analyze this next one jet do you know in 1999 who the raptors first round pick was in 99 yeah I have no idea. We're going to go with a little unknown high school prospect the name of Jonathan Bender. Uh, I do remember Jonathan Bender. Do you know who they could have had two picks later or four picks later? No idea. Another very borderline Hall of Fame candidate, Mr. Sean Marion, the Matrix. Oh, the Matrix. So Mm. now think about during that time. Tracy McGrady's already on the team. Vince Carter's already on the team. Sean Marion comes in in 1999 and Zach Randolph potentially in 2001. Yeah. That is a hell of a lineup. Because now you have a stretch two in McGrady. You've got a three in Carter. You've got a four, a stretch four in Marion. And you've got a guy who can play center in Zach Randolph. 
Wow. That's a tough lineup. Yeah. Because, I mean, Jonathan Bender ended up getting traded for Antonio Davis, who was a great player by all intents and purposes, but he was never going to average 20 and 10 like yeah. a Zach Randolph was giving you. So, anyways, Kev, we were just talking about Jonathan Bender being picked in 1999 over Sean Marion. Bender from Futurama. <laughs> yeah, Bender from Futurama. So, um, wait, so they could have had the Matrix, but they didn't take him. They did not. What pick did they use on him? Uh, so they drafted Bender fifth overall, and Sean Marion went ninth. Jeez. We had a lot of high <laughs> picks for base today. They sure did. So, and, and here's one that I think a lot of people just overlooked because the, the guy they picked ended up being fairly good. But when I talk about who went after, you guys are going to shit your pants. So, going all the way back to 1996, their second draft. You guys remember who they took second overall? In what year again? 1996. Second overall pick. Center from Kobe U- Bryant. Center from UMass. So, oh, Camby. Marcus Camby. Yeah. So Marcus Camby goes number two. That was the Allen Iverson draft, Kevin. So they were one pick away from landing Allen Iverson. But <laughs> they took Marcus Camby. Do you guys know how many players they passed on that ended up being, again, potential Hall of Famers? And some of them are already in the Hall of Fame. So in the first round, they passed on Sharif Abdul-Rahim, Ray Allen, Stefan Marbury, Antoine Walker, Jermaine O'Neal, Steve Nash, the Canadian, and Kevin, you just said his name, Mr. Colby Bean Bryant. Yep. Wow. Now, Marcus Camby had a decent career. Don't get me wrong. Shut up. Don't even say anything. (laughs) You finished it with Kobe Bryant. They could have had Allen Iverson if they traded up for number one. But think about that. Ray Allen. Okay. Jermaine O'Neal. Steve Nash. Kobe Bryant. Those four guys alone, Hall of Famers, in my eyes. Obviously, wow. Kobe, Kobe's already in the Hall of Fame. Ray Allen's going to go in the Hall of Fame. Steve Nash is going to go in the Hall of Fame. And Jermaine O'Neal probably will go in the Hall of Fame. And then, mm-hmm. again, you look at Sharif Abdul-Rahim. That guy played on some of the worst basketball teams in the history of the NBA with Vancouver and Atlanta. And that guy was one of the most underrated superstars in the game. He would average 20 and 10 as a six foot eight power forward. Like he was, he was like the smaller version of Tim Duncan and people don't realize how good he actually was, but just because he played with a lot of fundamentals, it wasn't flashy and played in Vancouver. He never got any publicity. So that's the 1996 draft guys. So, I mean, you talk about some of the huge misses that they make by drafting guys who never panned out for them. Marcus Camby did pan out. He was second in Rookie of the Year voting behind behind Iverson. He ended up leading the league in blocks, I think, five or six times in his career. He's one of the all-time leaders in rebounds and blocks. But, I mean, they ended up trading him after two years anyway for Charles Oakley. So, 
who would you rather have? A Charles Oakley who's on his last legs, although he gave you some great years of basketball, or would you yeah. would you want to have a chance to build around a teenager like a Jermaine O'Neal or Kobe Bryant, or bring in a homegrown point guard because you know that your guy's on his way out with Damon Stoudemire and bringing in a guy like Steve Nash? I mean, out of all those guys there, you're taking Steve Nash, even though Kobe's obviously the, the best player from that – well, had the best career. High school, yeah. High class. school players were very, very iffy at that point. Kevin Garnett I, kind of – Well, yeah, Kevin Garnett wasn't that great coming out of high school. Neither was Kobe. LeBron was the first real name coming straight from high school and actually panning out in the first year in the NBA. But – I'm going to go out and say you have a Canadian who is likely going to stay in Toronto. Yeah. When it comes time to resign, he's going to stay. Steve Nash was a hero for Canadian basketball, still is. But do you think back to that, uh, the 2000 Olympics? Yep. Where, where Team Canada made it for uh, men's basketball. And Steve Nash comes out of nowhere and puts us kind of on the map. And then he goes on to win two NBA MVPs. Yep. You know what I mean? And, and if we had had him in, uh, Toronto, he's a guy that would have continued to stay in Toronto. He wouldn't have been looking for a bigger payout. I don't think necessarily he, he would have been, uh, the de facto prime minister of the country. <laughs> and you know what? There, there are a lot other huge misses in Toronto Raptors draft history. Honestly, anyone who's followed the Raptors since their inauguration knows how many players they have missed on just with mismanagement. Has Masai missed on any? Masai has missed on a couple. Like Bruno Caboclo comes to mind, you know, never really panned out to be the type of player that they wanted him to. But I mean, you look at the guys that he's been able to snag late, in, you know, late in the first round. I mean, it's pretty yeah. incredible. OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, like those two guys alone are very much worth their weight in in gold. So, um, yeah, I mean, Masai has definitely been the best general manager and personnel that the Raptors have ever had for sure. That was fun, you know. Obviously. There's so many more that we could have talked about because early on in the Raptors, you know, inauguration, you know, other than, you know, some of the, the guys who ended up panning out later, I mean, Vince Carter was really the, the true, you know, right pick for, for the team. So you talk about Damon Stoudemire all you want. I mean, never wanted to be in Toronto in the first place. So anyways, a lot of misses in Toronto Raptors history and just happy that they were able to, uh, to right the ship and win a championship a couple of years ago. So here's another one that we want to get into. So another category that we're going to talk about are five sports documentaries that we recommend you need to watch. Here we go. So I'll start off with uh, with my cousin Andrew, who actually is a very big sports buff, loves to you know follow a lot of these different things, and, and you know, again, listener of the podcast as well, and he was telling me that one that's really stuck out to him and uh, has had a big impact on his viewership has been uh, the Pat Tillman story. Anyone who doesn't know about Pat Tillman, you know, former NFL player, all American at Arizona state, you know, just signed a large contract with uh, the Arizona Cardinals, you know, was, was on his way to being a top five safety in the NFL and, you know, ended up, you know, joining the military, um, to go over and and fight for his country and tragically passed away in a, a friendly fire uh, episode over in, I think it was, Iraq, was it Iraq or Afghanistan? Uh, I thought it was Afghanistan. I think it was Afghanistan too. 
Um, but anyways, very, very sad story and tragic, you know, but, you know, you talk about someone who left, you know, everything on hold for his own personal gain to go and, you know, support others and, and help where he could. I mean, you think about, you know, that whole thing and what he could have been had it, had he not made that decision. I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. So, I mean, I haven't seen it, but again, my cousin's a very, very, you know, in tune, uh, in tune fella when it comes to, you know, documentaries, especially in the sports realm and highly recommends that one for anyone who's interested in, in that story. So Jet, what, uh, what documentary are you pointing towards the people to watch? Okay. So this one's pretty long, but I have to say it's probably the best sports documentary I've ever seen. OJ made in America. The five parter is bananas. And yeah, you know, that motherfucker did it. Like, I'm sorry. Okay. But it won an but, Oscar too. Huh? It won an Oscar too, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. It won an Oscar. And like I completely understand why. It is phenomenal. It's great. It's 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 so well done. It's it's pretty unbiased. Like it's just giving facts. Um and just the different angles that they hit in terms of, you know, um, things as crazy as, oh, you know, OJ, going to OJ's house and, you know, which I didn't even know was a thing where like jurors could go to the house and them removing the pictures from the walls and putting different pictures on the walls. And it, it's just the detail was insane. The story was insane. You, you watch that and you, you literally leave with it thinking, yeah, yeah, he did it. Like, like I don't understand what happened. Like, you well, you understand what happened because of yeah. the era when it happened, but he did it. So it's just very interesting to see because, and they also go from his beginnings, yeah, all the way to you know where ultimately he ended up going to prison again. Anyway, um, almost like a you know karmic type yeah. of situation. But um, yeah, that's the one I would point people to. Don't you? I wouldn't suggest sitting there and watching it in one one day because that's it's like ten hours. But it's it's a good one, man. Like I'd I'd watch it over and over again because I'm sure there's little pieces that I missed here and there. I I couldn't I couldn't turn it off when I was watching it. Yeah, I, I think it's so good because it has all the elements that you would want, even if you you know you're not particularly a sports fan. I mean, it's got drama, it's got you know romantic interest, it's got intrigue, it's got you know, uh, a whodunit scenario. It's got true crime. Like it's got everything that would hook you into, you know, being involved in the story. And that's, I think what was so captivating about it was not only just the time that it happened in, like Jethro alluded to, but it literally mm-hmm. had every element of, holy shit, like what's going to happen here? I don't know what's going to happen. Oh yeah. my God, look at the information this came out with today. Oh, look what happened over there. Like that is the most high profile trial that I think we will ever see in our lifetime. Ever. Yeah, exactly. So 100%, I've watched it. I, I, you know, when there was that huge craze on the OJ story, you know, they had American Crime Story, which was, you know, obviously actors portraying different people where Cuba Gooding Jr. played OJ Simpson and whatnot. And then, you know, the American, uh, or sorry, this uh, American, sorry, OJ Made in America, um, mm-hmm. they came out in the same year. So there was a lot of different, you know, different perspectives and viewpoints on this OJ Simpson trial 
many years after it happened because it happened back in 1994. So again, that's a great one. Kev, just 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 to add, just to add to that before Kev talks, I remember I was in grade eight. They announced the verdict over the intercom. Yeah, when I was in grade eight, like that's how that's how big of a deal it was. They wheeled in, they wheeled in a TV into our classroom. Yeah, and like I was in crazy. grade four. I was in grade four. I got, that's crazy. I got sent to the crazy. principal's office, and I was in the office like chair. I think I had a fight in gym class or some stupid shit like that. I was like in grade eight as well, seven or eight, and uh, the the secretaries like when I got there wouldn't talk. Like they looked like they were angry, and then like some guy, some like high school teacher I didn't know, and I guess he would have been the tech teacher because he had a TV going. He came in, he's like, oh, yeah, like he shook hands with his lawyer, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wait, he was innocent? And then the secretaries looked at me like, you don't talk. They were so pissed. <laughs> I remember just sitting there. And I wasn't like a troublemaker. I hardly ever went to the office. But this particular day in history, I happened to get sent to the principal's office. And, and I'm there in front of like a room full of adults. And most of them are very upset that he has been and there was a lot of men that were kind of cheering for him because he was a football hero yeah you know what i mean yeah. like such a such a uh there's such a, a pop culture aspect to that whole thing aside from race and the state of america at the time there was a pop culture aspect to it too right like yeah. Yeah. That, that's what made court tv that's what made uh tmz that's what made uh what was it um CNN, yeah, right. CNN was making its fame off of the car chase. I, I think it changed the way that media portrayed everything now because, again, it had so many different references that it, it interested everybody, regardless if you knew who he was, regardless if you were a fan, regardless if you you know just liked you know the aspect of you know what I like watching the People's Court. This is like a real you know serious life version of the People's Court, but just in a much more serious fashion. So I, I 100% agree. And Kev, there's no way that you got in a fight. You would never pick a fight with anybody. You probably got, you know, caught, you know, I don't know, pulling somebody's pants down or something like that. Something stupid. That's not true. If someone touched my fucking sandwich in my lunch, I would have killed them. <laughs> <laughs> you don't touch my PP&J, bitch. One thing I really feel like doing is sharing the, the grade school picture that we have of you on, uh, oh on our God. social media page. It's a big DX fan. <laughs> and boy, do you ever show it in that picture. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anyways, moving on. Joke. Kev, what is a sports documentary that you uh, that you recommend for our listening public? Okay, this is a tough one because boy, do I love a good documentary, especially a sports documentary. Um, but I'm not going with just one here. I'm going to go with a series of them sure. and give my probably my top three that I really enjoy. And it's the ESPN 30 for 30s. Mm -hmm. I think everyone knows what they are. I love them. I wish Canada would get them on Netflix or something. Uh, as of now, you can, you can watch it through um, uh, the TSN app, right? If you have, uh, you know, if you have that um, subscription, right? Through your cable provider or whatever, what have you. But um, I have really enjoyed. Um, I think I told you this, Kyle, uh, when, when we first had, our oldest, Everett, um, I remember the, the nurse when we went home said the first night that you're there at home, let your wife sleep 
and you stay up with a bottle for the baby and you just stay up all night feeding the baby whenever they need to eat. So I poured a pot of coffee. Lindsay went to bed and I sat down and I had one of those uh, streaming boxes Mm -hmm. and I found the 30 for 30s and all of them worked. And I watched like three seasons of 30 for 30s over like i i think the next night i volunteered to do it again and pull it all later <laughs> just to watch the rest of these 30 for 30s and uh and then i did the exact same thing again when our youngest was born and i remember watching it for 30 for 30s but um the ones that stand out the most i'm going to start from my third spot i love the nature boy mm-hmm. the 30 for 30 on rick flair and you see the life that he lived and, you know, kind of the consequences of some of that. You learn that uh, famous and popular and probably wealthier wrestlers, he was not immune to the life that these guys lived. And, uh, you know, you hear about his son passing away and now you see his daughter kind of following in his footsteps and making a name for herself. But you see where it all began and boy, does it look like a fun thing to do be a wrestler in the 80s you would have been like i'm not advocating for this in any way shape or form but like if that's your lifestyle they were coked up they were boozed up they had were surrounded by women and they did it every single night like they didn't just do it like once in a blue moon it was basically like on the tour bus uh, in whatever that they were in somewhere in ohio and they weren't making huge money so they had to do it every night so they just drank and, and partied the entire time as well. And that looks like it must have been a blast. Like if you can go into a time machine for a vacation and you get to go away for a vacation, boy, would it be fun to go back and just do that for a week, right? As an 80s wrestler, just saying, not me. I don't advocate for that type of substance abuse, but boy, would that be fucking fun. Um, <laughs> one i really enjoy (laughs) even though even though uh he he doesn't uh like the documentary himself uh but it's rand university and it follows randy moss and kind of his humble beginnings and his small town of uh rand wisconsin indiana no virginia yeah virginia can't remember the state no city's named rand it's west virginia it's rand West Virginia. His city's named Rand and his name is Randy. Okay, so just going to throw that out there. Randy. But, uh, you really see in that movie? <laughs> Randy. But that was America. <laughs> that was America. What do you want to do? Um, I really I really find it amazing when you, when you kind of watch him and you go, wow, if he was in any way less of a vocal character, Right. Like if if you see his character now on TV as an announcer, I think people have grown to really like him and find him endearing. Mm -hmm. But when he was playing, it was right around that time where that older generation of football fans hated anything that was fun about the game. Like because he danced or did things like Terrell Owens or whatever, or he was disrespectful to other players. Heaven forbid, in a sport where people try to take each other's heads off, that anyone be disrespectful at any point during the game. Uh, but if he had just been a little bit more um, under the radar, man, he would have even a better career. Like Randy Moss needed to come into the league and play for the Patriots 
when they had Drew Bledsoe at quarterback and then eventually Tom Brady and his career would have been so different. Like that one year where him and Tom had that connection and they break that record or whatever, that could have been every year because Randy Moss is a once in a lifetime generational talent, like out of this world, you watch this documentary and you realize this guy may have been better than any of the guys that we consider for goat by a long shot and it just wasn't meant to be and that it kind of bugs you like you look at his uh you know what happens to him in university and what where he could have gone and where he could have played his university and where he ends up playing and a lot of it comes down to personal choices and and maybe coming from a small town and his own family background but you watch this and you go wow that guy may have been the best receiver that we'll ever see and, uh, and it really does cover that in, in the documentary. And then finally, my absolute favorite, I think everyone who watches 30 for 30s knows this one. And it's probably the one that they first went and watched. Uh, and even the intro song to this documentary is so hype. I love it. It's the U, yeah. which uh, <laughs> profiles the growth of the University of Miami um, from fledgling little... Uh, uh, you know, small campus university that uh, has a football team kind of, and uh, they go out and they hire the right guy to be head coach and they start pouring money into it. And it just breeds, uh, you know, dynasties in each little decade that they have. And, uh, you know, you look at the history of them and you don't realize some of the names that came through Miami that we only really remember because of their pro career because it's come and gone in their hall of famers but they come through the u and then all of these guys after they've gone pro and they're tearing up the nfl they come back and they train at the u like they it's just bred in them they love it and kyle you and i talk about it all the time was howard schnellenberger who was uh, a bear bryant um coaching umbrella right he, he comes from that that camp yeah um, He brings the idea of, okay, this is a hotbed for high school football in the state of Florida. All these kids go elsewhere. They go and they play to Oklahoma. They go to Ohio State. They go to Michigan. They go to USC. I got to convince all these kids to stay here, go to the same school. So instead of all you all-stars going to different schools, you all come together in the same one and we clean house. And he does it and he comes up with little tricks for recruiting, right? He leaves his pipe behind to go back and, and meet with the parents and he builds that program up. And then you get to, uh, you know, the Michael Irvin days and, uh, and Jimmy Johnson. Uh, it, it looks at all of those things and it's incredible to see the growth of that program and the excitement behind it and, you know, the kid, they're going to clubs and they're partying with celebrities because they're in Miami and it's just awesome. Like you don't even have to be a Miami football fan to like this. In fact, you can, you can hate it, but you'll watch it and respect it. Yeah. I love yeah. that sports stock. Yeah. I think anybody who, uh, who enjoys a, a good sports documentary, any 30 for 30 is going to captivate you. And they're so well done. They're so different, each and every one of them. But yeah, like the two-part series on the University of Miami is so... I don't care if you're a football fan or not. 
you need to go and watch those because there's so many different elements to it. The culture that's built there, you know, kind of the, you know, at first it was the, the players who would never go to Miami because of where they lived, but now they're coming back together. Then it's the players that nobody want to take a chance on because they're troublemakers, but they're all going to Miami and causing even more shit. And yeah, I, I mean, the litany of, you know, all stars, all pros, hall of famers that came through that program is, is phenomenal. But um, I'm just going to throw one out. Cause Kev, obviously you covered, you know, three thirty for thirties there. So, you know, we talked about, wrestling earlier with the rick flair documentary anybody who's looking for again jet you talked about a good long series and if you have time there is a 15 part documentary called the monday night wars which is absolutely incredible and it's so nostalgic for anyone who is in their 30s or early 40s because it was at a time when wrestling was at its absolute peak. The entertainment was fantastic. It's about WCW, how they built themselves up to be the juggernaut that they were in the 90s versus WWF at the time and how they built themselves up and kind of went through the ups and downs and how they would overtake each other, sign each other's talent away, you know, the flops that they made along the way, the good decisions they made along the way. And it's so good. Every single episode is fantastic. And if you have a lot of time to kill you have a weekend off you want to binge some tv go and get yourself the box set of the monday night wars it is well worth the time invested into it all right so have you heard of the uh have you heard of the um dark side of the ring yes that's good too that's very good as well especially the one on owen hart that one is uh very sad but uh very yes you're right the dark side of the ring is a definite watch for any wrestling fan especially those in the 90s um all right so uh let's get into you know the past year that was in sports obviously we've covered a lot that's happened since january but what are five moves because obviously we're called the front office we'd like to talk about different you know gms coaching decisions players going from team to team you know how they kind of operate what are five moves in the sports world that impacted 2020 and 2021 for you guys? Here we go. So, Kev, maybe we'll start with you. That impacted 2020 and 2021? This past year. Yeah, you know what? The tough part about this, because I'm going to include 2020, I think it's from the football world, Tom Brady going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and then winning a Super Bowl might be the biggest sports move of the year. And it wasn't even that big of a move. It was just, you know, here's a guy who should have retired in New England, decided he was not done with winning and went out and won one with a team that, I mean, albeit the year before, didn't necessarily look like it was going to be a Super Bowl contender. Uh that for me was one that changed. It was something that I had to follow, even even as not a big Tom Brady fan, I had to follow it. Yeah. No, I agreed. I mean, you, you look at a lot of these Hall of Fame first ballot quarterbacks that are leaving in their, you know, kind of the twilight of their careers and going to other programs and winning. I mean, Joe Montana, you know, didn't win a Super Bowl at Kansas City, but took them to an AFC championship, did very well there. 
then Peyton Manning, obviously going to Denver, winning a championship in Denver. And now Tom Brady, you know, taking his legacy that he built up in new England and doing the same thing there. So I think it's, you know, you would never see this back in the day. You would never see, yeah, Brett Favre, but again, not winning a championship, but again, being successful in other places, you know, it's, one thing it's one thing to see another quarterback who you just know that you know Tom Brady's a New England Patriot, you know, no matter what. And seeing him in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform is just weird. But I think <laughs> over time you start to see, and again, I actually like Tom Brady as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. I think that more of his personality came out and he was actually drunk vulnerable. Brady. Drunk Brady at that show. Oh my god, Bray, that was amazing. Yeah. So I think you're really <laughs> made me to like see- him. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing, like. He, he becomes more relatable when he's playing for a team with a fun coach like a Bruce Arians with a group yeah. of young guys in Tampa Bay and playing in a warm weather climate where he can just go out and have fun because he's already won Super Bowls. What, is it, what else do you have to prove? So, you know, I, I think it was just a perfect match, but, you know, it's one of those things where you're never going to get used to seeing him in that uniform no matter how many years he plays there. But definitely a huge, huge moment that impacted sports. Jet, what do you got? Um, you know what? The one I have in mind, there's two moves that I have in mind, but we don't know what the impact is yet. I just think that the impact has been seismic, but I'm not sure what it will look translate to on the field. And that is Messi leaving Barcelona and Ronaldo leaving Juventus. I think those are two huge moves. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens moving forward. Um, like right now, PSG basically looked like Thanos because they couldn't. Um, <laughs> they, they, well, they couldn't come to. They couldn't make a deal for Mbappe. So now they have Mbappe, they have Neymar, and they have um, Messi. So it's like, come on, man, those are Infinity Stones. You know what I mean? And then Ronaldo, it's just really cool to see because. You know, he, he, that like, he, that's where he exploded onto the scene as a youngster. You know what I mean? So to see him where he is now and being one of, you know, basically when they talk about, you know, soccer royalty, it's basically Messi and, and Ronaldo one and two. And then we have all the other people that are coming up. So it's, it's just really awesome to see those two guys leaving their respective teams at the exact same time. And I'm really just interested to see like where they're going to go, like how they're going to do where they're going to go. It's going to be really cool to watch. Yeah. And I think in the soccer market, you rarely see the global star that are guys like Messi and Ronaldo that go to other teams in rival European leagues. Usually you'll see them kind of stay with their club until the tail end of their career, come over and make a shitload of money to come play in the States and then maybe go back, you know, to go play one more year over uh, overseas. But I mean, you're looking at the kind of money that's being thrown around for guys like this. Like Messi is making how much, you know, per, per year, like he's making like 150 million pounds a year. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's insane. So again, I think you're going to see a big trend of this because now, Kev, I think this is a direct correlation. So you mentioned it, a, you know, a, a couple months back in one of your segments with the Super League that ended up starting and then dissolving faster than it could start. I think this is the club's way that we're going to participate in that league 
it's their way to say, I don't give a shit if we're going to play in the Super League or not. I'm going out and I'm going to spend all the money possible to bring all of this TV revenue to us. Because now we might want to get in to different countries to, you know, to get our game. So that way we get a, a bigger TV deal and you, you spend all this money. But again, talking about our, you know, our endorsement episode, how much money is that bringing back into these clubs? Manchester United, they were irrelevant for the last couple of years. Yeah. Now that they got Cristiano Ronaldo back, every eyeball on the set is going to be on that team. PSG, again, they're a high-level team that's been very successful in France. But now you bring in another guy like a Lionel Messi and you pair them up with Neymar and Mbappe, there's not anyone in the world who doesn't know who plays on that team now. So, again, very, very impactful. Here's one that I think not a lot of people are still talking about, but when it happened, it was so groundbreaking because it was the first of its kind and really shows you know, the progress that the sports world has made over the years. And that's in Major League Baseball, Kim Ng being named the general manager of the Miami Marlins. So she's the first female GM in American professional sports because I know any Ottawa Rough Rider fans will say we had the first professional, you know, uh, professional female GM back in 1995. But this is the first big four GM that is female. And again, you're looking at it, how the evolution of, you know, integrating women into, you know, high level sports is becoming, and it's great. You know, it's great to see, you know, female referees. It's great to see female coaches. It's great to see female administrators. And now little girls who are interested in sports can look and say, this woman has taken over an entire franchise and she's responsible for making deals, signing contracts, signing free agents, making trades. That is groundbreaking. And we're going to look back on this, you know, 20 years from now and say that was the start. So, I mean, I think that was the most impactful moment for me because we've never seen it before. And that's something that is going to impact not only baseball, but professional sports for years to come in a, you know, in a positive way. So for sure, we've talked about a few, but again, a couple more that I had, we won't have to go into detail on them, but Urban Meyer hired, you know, getting signed by the Jaguars as a coach. I mean, I think that that kind of shocked everybody that he came out of retirement coaching college his whole life to take on a team like Jacksonville. Um, But again, usually you're seeing the young upstart college coach getting hired. Now it's an old retired, you know, successful college coach getting the call up. And then Steve Nash hired by the Nets as a head coach, never been a coach before, you know, came with a lot of critiques that, you know, they're passing on a lot of these guys who have cut their teeth as assistant coaches in the sport just to get a guy in like Steve Nash. But Steve Nash probably forgets more about basketball more than any of these guys would ever know. So, um, again, I think that one was uh, was an eyebrow raiser, but ultimately worked out well considering all the stars that they have on that team. So the last one we're going to talk about tonight, guys, is five bold predictions for the upcoming year, 2021-2022. Here we go. So I'll start and I'll be quick. So we haven't talked about boxing and I don't want to talk about, you know, because I think Kev, you might have something to talk about boxing, but a prediction that I have 
is there's a huge third fight coming up this year with Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. There's also another fight on the go that if it you know happens, Anthony Joshua will be, you know, again, moving on to looking for his next opponent if he defeats his next uh, his next foe. I am predicting right now that Tyson Fury is going to beat both Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua in a calendar year. And when you look at the course of heavyweight boxers, that has never been done before, where an undefeated boxer will go and beat two one-loss heavyweight champions in one year. I'm marking it. The Gypsy King is going to be the undisputed, unified heavyweight champion of the world by 2022. Bad guy. Bad guy. Bad guy. Love it. That's solid. I like that. All right. So, Jet, what do you got? Uh, give. I was thinking about football and fantasy, and given that, uh, unfortunately, Irv Smith from Minnesota uh, is probably going to be out for the entire season with his meniscus surgery. Wait, wait, um, wait, wait, wait. Is this a constantly improving segment? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Brought to you by Human 2.0. There um, you go. <laughs> uh, see, I didn't burp and fart or anything this time. I actually uh, have to so... go to the bathroom right now, so this works perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but given that he uh, that he he tore his meniscus, and you know, seeing as he's only 23 years old, uh, at that age he's really young, so they could have just trimmed. His, uh, his meniscus, which would have had him back uh, probably in about two months or so. But then that would have increased his chances of having a ton of arthritis. Uh, so they want to, you know, conserve the, the shock absorber as much as possible. So they're going to give him the surgery. And then, uh, you know, seeing as it's also a young team with like Justin Jefferson and, you know, Dalvin Cook and like they have a pretty good core, so they don't need to rush him back. It's not like their window is right now. Um, but it made me think about the tight ends in the league. So my bold prediction is that Kyle Pitts finishes right behind Travis Kelsey in both yards and touchdowns. Wow. Put that one on the board. That's a very bold prediction given that your boy, George Kittle and Mm -hmm. The guy in Vegas, Darren Waller, are sitting at mm-hmm. that top of the tight end heap along with Travis Kelsey. So I like it. I love bold predictions like that. So mm-hmm. before we go over to Kev, I'm going to go over to um, our buddy Eddie Edward, former professional soccer player and former guest of the show, who gave us a bold prediction also in the soccer world. So his bold prediction with all the moves that have just happened he is predicting that Atletico Madrid wins La Liga over the course of this next year. So, Jet, mm. I know that you are a Barcelona fan. I know that you are. His bold prediction is that with Messi leaving, it's going to have a massive impact and that both Barcelona and, no, but what- and Real Madrid are going to fall below Atletico Madrid. 
I but what I was gonna say is shout out to to, to Eddie. Um, but I was gonna say that's that's not like a crazy bold prediction because uh, Griezmann just left Barca too, and he went to Atletico. So like they're they're strong right now, and you know Real Madrid and, and Barca are both limping right now. Uh, so it, it, given that he made that prediction before the Griezmann move, hey. I like it. I like it. You know what? He uh, he gave me a few of them, and that was the one that uh, that I looked at and said, you know what? I like it. But uh, he also gave me a couple of others. But uh, we'll just stick with that. But, yeah, Eddie, great guy. It was a great interview. He's going to come back on when we uh, talk more soccer. And, honestly, it, uh, whenever he says something about soccer, it usually comes true. I mean, he predicted – he's a Manchester United fan. He predicted that they were going to, you know, try and rattle some cages and go after, you know, a big name on the market. And boy, did they ever. (laughs) Boy, did they ever. Indeed. All right. So uh, we're going to jump over to uh, to Kev with uh, with his bold prediction for the next calendar year. Okay. well, this bold prediction is also. Something to do with beans. Of a particular oh, 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 oh. Kev, are we going to grind some beans with this prediction? Grinding beans. Now, it's our 50th episode. It wouldn't be a front office podcast episode without a little grinding beans action. And my beans to be ground this evening uh, have to do with uh, people that are relatively new to combat sports in terms of being a spectator or fan specifically to boxing because there's a lot of people right now that really have never followed anything but MMA because of you know they're millennials and they weren't really around in the 90s to kind of see the tail end of boxing and all the uh, interesting fights that were there uh and they really came onto the scene when uh MMA took off, right? You think back to that first Ultimate Fighter on Spike TV, and ever since then, MMA has kind of taken hold of a a new generation of combat fight fans. So I'm going to give a little bit of a lesson on how boxing works. Brand, 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 brand. Little different than MMA. MMA has fights every frigging weekend. Okay, there is one major league, and it's the UFC. And then all the other leagues that are around don't exactly get the same pay-per-view share that the UFC does. Uh, and uh, they serve as really good minor leagues for other fighters to fight in or ones that lose their contract in the UFC to continue fighting professionally. When it comes to boxing, imagine that there's not just one UFC for boxing. There's like eight No one really knows who's in charge ever. Um, And you can be a champion of the world along with six other people. And, uh, and that is boxing. And the reason for it is boxing is sort of an old sport. It goes back centuries and, uh, and the boxing that we know today really goes back to like the the mid 1800s and the, 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 the way that people made money then is the way that people make money now. Uh, it's through promoting big fights. And what happens in boxing 
a little different from the MMA, uh, MMA uh, ranks where, you know, you can argue that sometimes people are ranked higher than they should be, but with people fighting multiple times throughout the year, if they're not a top contender, you're going to get to see this person fight and you get a pretty good accurate assessment of, of the talent of a fighter before they get their title shot. In boxing, if you get a belt and you are a champion, even though there might be six other people with the same claim to it, you are going to do everything you can to hold on to at least that one belt. And you're going to do so through promoting fights with people that you're guaranteed to win against. And you're going to continue doing that because as your record improves, right? We'll use Floyd Mayweather as a good example. As you can show how many wins you have compared to losses or how many knockouts you have compared uh, to losses, you are going to be able to command more money because more people are going to tune in in hopes of seeing someone beat you. That's what boxing is, ladies and gentlemen. It's kind of a corrupt sport. Rant, 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 rant. In fact, it might be the most corrupt sport. In fact, the most prominent and popular and famous boxing promoter once murdered a man in the street and then went on to represent all of the world's champions in boxing and make millions of dollars off of his name. And that's Don King. Okay. Boxing is a little different than MMA. In MMA, it's controlled a hundred percent. The money that's coming in and out is controlled almost a hundred percent by, you know, uh, Dana White and now Fox sports and the, major corporation that is behind MMA and the rest are like paid actors. It's very similar to wrestling entertainment in that respect. Boxing, however, boxers make their money off of never losing. They don't give a shit about fighting the toughest guy they can find to show how tough they are. That's not how boxing works. And Jake Paul is shocking the world because everyone seems to forget that this is how boxing freaking works. Nobody wants to unify belts in boxing. Everyone's out to make a paycheck. And in Jake Paul's case, there's no belt. He might have made a belt because he's a fucking moron and he had boxing shorts on that had a television screen that said his name on it like it was a 1990s scoreboard at Argo Stadium. Like That is the stupidity that is Jake Paul. But Jake Paul has done what no one else would be able to do in the MMA world, okay? Jake Paul has seemingly gotten some boxing training at some point in his life. He's also tall. He also has probably taken steroids, and he has dedicated the last two and a half years of his life to training at boxing. And even still, after all the money and time he has put into boxing, he is at best an average amateur boxer despite his sizable reach advantage. So what does he do? He takes the clout and the fame, which is going to supplement a big record or a belt that another professional boxer would use to keep people coming to watch his fights. He uses his clout and he attracts people that fucking hate his face and want to punch him in it. <laughs> they want to see someone beat the shit out of him. So what does he do? He fights a basketball player who's a foot shorter than him and knocks him the fuck out <laughs> and the world goes what how did this guy 
who's got like a 20-inch reach advantage on a retired, washed-up NBA player knock out this out-of-shape guy in a ring? He must be a good boxer. Holy shit. But wait, he fought an NBA player. Wait, he's going to fight someone else now. He's going to fight Ben Askren. If you don't know who Ben Askren is, Ben Askren is because you don't really follow the worst fighters of MMA history. Rant, 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 rant. Okay, Ben Askren is most popularized by how quickly he went unconscious and completely seized on the tarmac of the uh, of the octagon. Canvas, not the tarmac. He's not landing a plane. The tarmac. The tarmac works. Uh, when he gets need on the opening of the fight, okay? Ben Askren shows up to this fight looking like he's doing his best to be in the top 10 dad bods of People Magazine 2020. Um, and uh, he shows up to this fight, and no one points this out at the time. Here's Jake Paul with, again, another sizable reach and size advantage over someone who is clearly retired from fighting based on his body fat percentage. So he goes out and he knocks out Ben Askren and he dances and all the Jake Paul fans who know nothing about fighting and truthfully don't know anything about the boxing world are now throwing their hands up. They're super excited. Everyone's pumped up. Jake Paul, Jake Paul. And then the people who hate Jake Paul are like, fuck, can he fight someone who's gone to the gym once the last year? (laughs) Along comes Tyrone Woodley. So they bring in Tyrone Woodley and he looks like he's carved from stone, albeit a pebble. Because Jake Paul has now picked another person that he has a sizable reach advantage against. And Jake Paul, if you haven't watched his fights, is really good at throwing overhand rights in hopes of knocking out his opponents, which he's done twice. And now he's going to go and fight Tyrone Woodley, who has power in his punches. But if you've watched Tyrone Woodley's fall from grace, or if any grace of that in the MMA, it's that this guy fights conservatively when he is losing most of the time and needs to start swinging for the fences with those fucking bombs he's built. And at one point in the fight against Jake Paul, he unleashes it, and Jake Paul almost flies out of the ring. Then he doesn't do it again. <laughs> Tyrone Woodley is doing what Tyrone Woodley does best and just sitting back and going, I think I've done enough in this fight. I'll let it go to the judges. Or what is most likely the scenario here, Jake Paul and everyone in his management team who has been picking fighters that Jake Paul has a sizable reach and size advantage over also probably said to Tyrone, don't win this fight and we'll give you an extra 250K. (laughs) Then he throws a punch and Jake Paul almost flies out of the fucking ring onto the judge's table and he goes, oh shit, I better not do anything for the next few rounds and hope that he wins this so I could get some money. Um, grinding beans, my issue right now, stop tuning in to Jake Paul fights and this will all go away. Stop (laughs) watching boxing if it's not an actual big name who's fighting a belt. Okay, If it's not two belts fighting each other, don't give your money over to pay-per-view. They're just trying to draw money. That's why HBO exists because people weren't going to pay for uh, uh, non-unifying fights ever again. So HBO fights came out and basically said, well, if you have HBO, you get dirty movies and some boxing. Rant, 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 rant. That you don't have to pay extra. 
So that right there is what's kind of grinding my beans is people who don't know the boxing world are tuning in now for Jake Paul and are going, what's happening? We're not sure how this goes. Just stop. Stop buying his fights. Don't tune in. And if you are someone that is a foot shorter than him and you're confident that you can beat him up in the ring, don't fight him. If you're Miles Garrett, please step into the ring tomorrow. It's Jake Paul. <laughs> so my bold prediction, Kyle, off of this grinding beans. After all of that. Paul, listen, I go on a rant. You know this about. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Jake Paul is going to, or he already has announced his retirement. That's the next part of this boxing thing. Conor McGregor has taken a couple of pages from the boxing uh, fight promoting as we've seen over the years. And that's probably why he's the highest paid uh, combat sport athlete in the, in the last 20 years, Connor McGregor. Well, sorry, you know, I can't include some of the boxes in there, but Connor McGregor has done an excellent job. He's the highest paid MMA fighter of all time. And he's taken a page from the boxing um, promoting books. You can announce your retirement more than once. Nobody cares. There's there's not like a lady at the pension office for boxers who's like, ah, nope, sorry, you've already collected your pension. You can't come back to work here. You can announce your t- retirement at any point in time. And whenever a boxer does that, assume they're coming out of retirement eventually. Two reasons. One, they're chronic ga- gamblers. They need the money. And two, this is going to promote a big super fight. I'm only coming out of retirement if I get a super fight. And I'm going to tell you right now that if Jake Paul is going to fight in a super fight, if, if he's going through all this retirement, it's going to be against someone who is going to kick the living shit out of him for a one-day payday that's upwards of $100 million. And the name that keeps coming to my head is going to be someone who's washed up in his actual sport but would love another big payday in something that he showed he can do really well. And that's Conor McGregor. I think my bold prediction is once everyone's healed up from their previous fights, Conor, specifically his bone, once everyone's healed up, we are going to see Jake Paul, Conor McGregor one. Mark my words, it will be a three fight series. That'll be the only fights you guys ever have. And Jake Paul will win the first one. Bold prediction. Please stop buying his pay-per-view matches. A legendary rant mm-hmm. by a legendary man on a legendary show. Um, I, I, I'm I, again. I'm not even going to say that's going to be a bold prediction because I think you're absolutely right, Kev. I think that the well is running a you know a little bit dry with people who are start you know still interested in Jake Paul's shtick. I think that people are kind of getting wise to it. Now you're going to have his little teeny bopper YouTubers that are going to still pay for his fights and just say, this guy can beat anybody, man. He kick your ass. You kick your ass. You kick your ass. I didn't, I didn't pay for the fight. Obviously I'll never give any money to those two idiot brothers ever, ever, ever. Um, but I did see highlights and any boxer who is, you know, even a journeyman boxer would absolutely ruin those two little shits, like ruin them. People could talk about, oh, well, Logan Paul went, you know, went the distance with Floyd Mayweather. If you guys think 
for a second that Floyd wasn't carrying him the entire fight. He even knocked him almost unconscious and caught him before he fell down on the canvas. Whoopsie! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, you talk about, oh, I landed a punch I wasn't supposed to. I wasn't supposed to hit him that hard. But these guys are stupid and can't stay out of the way because their chins are so big. Like, Again, I agree with you 100%, Kev. But that's not even a bold prediction to say that Conor McGregor and Jake Paul are going to fight eventually because it's going to happen. Both guys like money. Both guys like attention. Both guys like the spotlight. I would literally just tune in to watch the press conferences to watch Conor McGregor destroy Jake Paul's brain. (laughs) Only reason why I think that this is for sure the fight because it's the only one I would consider paying for. And that right there is why the fight will happen. Yeah. And I, don't even- I would pay for that fight is an example that these guys will walk away with a hundred million each and everyone around them will make billions. Put it on the undercard of the Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua heavyweight super fight next year. That would be incredible really and truly. But I honestly think Jake Paul, Connor McGregor, Will net more pay per view dollars, yeah. And Tyson Fury Wilder, I'm telling you right now, it's unfortunate, but, but that's because this young generation that only knows MMA and in Instagram stars or, or TikTok stars has no idea about that world of boxing because it's something their, their dads or grandfathers talk about, they didn't grow up with yeah. it. Really. Like, you think about our upbringing, right, and watching sports, we watched uh, Tyson. Yeah. You know what I mean? We, we watched Evander Holyfield. We watched Tyson Holyfield 1 and 2. We yeah. watched Lennox Lewis. We watched Prince Nassim Hamed. Like, we watched kind of the last bit when boxing was really relevant. Yeah. And then when we got to our mid-20s, it's yeah. where it petered off. UFC took off, and this young generation grew up watching UFC very differently from our UFC of rent it from the video store to watch a sumo fighter fight a karate guy. And it was awesome, awesome idea. And there was no holds barred and you were biting and punching. Nut punches. Yeah. Yeah. And it was amazing. But then, you know, they, they said we can't do this anymore because it's murder. So they made it a little (laughs) bit more mainstream and, and things got different, but yeah, this generation doesn't really understand it all and it and it's changing it and you know what it might be what boxing needs to stay relevant for future generations too right yeah for sure and that was a great one uh, legendary rant like i said and uh the last prediction that i'm gonna i'm gonna make i, I had one queued up but i actually want to make it show related so my the fifth bold prediction for 2021 2022 for me is that the front office podcast is going to do five live shows in 2022. That's bold. That is very bold. bold. That's very bold. Try and get us to coordinate our schedules to all three of us. (laughs) being in the same place at the same time and nobody forgetting like a computer component or <laughs> headphones or keys or something. Yeah. That's bold. Absolutely. That's bold, Kyle. That's why I'm saying it. 
because that is 100% accurate with our schedules, with everything else that's going on. But, uh, you know, again, it's something that I think we've, we've all wanted to do. I've had some people reach out, you know, asking if we'd be willing to do it. I've been hesitant, but I think, you know, now is really the, the time to start looking into it because I think it'll be a lot of fun. And I think having these types of conversations is really engage people. But that's my bold prediction is that we're going to make it so that five, the, you know, the three of us can be in the same place at the same time, five times next year. And it will all be for the sake of the show and to get out and really, you know, include more people into the show. Cause that's something that we all want. So that's my last bold prediction is podcast related. We are going to do five live shows next year. Um, so that's it for uh, for the content for this episode. But there's one thing that I wanted to talk about because I think all of us are interested in this. So we're talking about predictions. I want to talk about five things that we all have consumed, we all love. So obviously, I didn't mention our sponsor, the Smoke Shack and BTP Smokehouse at the start of the show, other than introduction. For those of you who don't know, please go use the promo code KEV. FOP10. FOP10. FOP10 at checkout of your online order at the BTP Smokehouse location to get 10% off your order. But my, you know, my reason for bringing that up is because I want us to put together the five items from the Smoke Shack menu that we would absolutely recommend for, and again, we recommend the whole menu, but five main items that we recommend to people. So we'll go one by one. We'll get three main ones and then we'll collaborate on two. So Kev, give me one. Okay. This is an absolute must. I get it every time you're going to laugh and think, no, that can't be something Kev would want to eat. And you're going to say, that's weird. I'm not going to eat it. But the cauliflower wings are out of this friggin' world. I'm telling you right now, there is a giant, I never get through a whole box of them. Okay. I, there's some for the next day and the dip that they give it with is awesome. It's what I get every time I change most of my items just to try different things. I always get that every single order and I order every second week. Excellent. Excellent. Jet. Pulled pork, baby. Pulled pork. That pulled pork goes down smooth. Smooth as it is so good. It is so good. Same thing. I get it with every order. Like I'll change up other things, but that that's a staple. Speaking of things that we get with every one of our orders, I absolutely have to mention the best ribs I have ever had in my life. A rack of ribs from the smoke shack will never disappoint you. And speaking of which, tomorrow night, Friday night is the rib special at the Little Shack and Carp. So Boys, do your thing over there and carp. Go and get yourself some uh, some delicious ribs, but that has to be on the menu every time you order Smoke Shack is the ribs. So we got two more items to go. Kev, you got us off with the starter. Jet and I have two mains. What are two other things that we have to collaborate on to you know make this meal complete? Okay, oh. I'm going to throw this out there right now. Jerk chicken, most okay. Here's the thing most people are afraid of ordering jerk chicken 
if it's not done right, it's overpowering and you're missing out on the flavor. They do it right every time. Their jerk chicken, phenomenal, out of this world, okay? It's got enough kick that you're going to enjoy it, but you're not drowning yourself in the heat. I love the jerk chicken, and it's it's their chicken, right? It's their smoked chicken. Yeah. Uh, like, it's like eating butter. Okay? And I'm not, I'm not even putting it into any other context. It's a chicken that you bite into. It's not dry. It melts in your mouth. And it's got the perfect jerk spice on. Yeah, I, I think that either their chicken, I mean, you go with the jerk chicken or, you know, even the fried chicken with the with the dill sauce. I mean, you have to have a chicken dish in there. So, you know, Jet, you're the tiebreaker here. Are you going with jerk chicken or are you going with the fried chicken? You know what? I... I, I like the jerk, but I, I would go the fried just because with the dip, it it change it just changes things for me. It just it does something to me. And don't don't get us wrong. We love the jerk chicken too. The jerk chicken is phenomenal. Um so last thing on, on the five on the exactly you can't go wrong. On the five menu item uh, items that we want to put together. So I got to throw this out there. You guys can agree with me or not, but you got to go with the mac and cheese. <laughs> yep. Well, wait, the shack mac and cheese? Yeah. I mean, yep. You, yep. you can't get a mac and cheese without shacking it up a little bit. So those of you who haven't had it yet, shack mac has bacon inside of the mac and cheese. Bacon and, in the cheese. <laughs> and I mean, bacon does make everything better. So as Kevin would say with his crackers as well, but mm-hmm. you know, so, okay. So I think if we're all on the board with that, so the five items that the front office podcast is recommending that you go and enjoy the smoke shack. So Kev highly recommends the cauliflower wings jet highly recommends the pulled pork. I am recommending the ribs. We collaborate and we recommend that you go and get some fried chicken and some mac and cheese shacked up with some bacon. So everybody, that is the perfect combination for any weekend where you can go get yourself some delicious food and make sure that you are supporting a loyal sponsor of the podcast. (laughs) I'm not even going to mention what we're laughing at right now, but it's a perfect Kevin Kelly depiction of what happens during the show oh my god all right everything and on that note go and take (laughs) take one of the free trial classes at human 2.0 and get another one on the house by mentioning the podcast again support human 2.0 it was a longer show than normal (laughs) i couldn't hold it no 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 because you're talking the whole fucking time (laughs) all right and on that note everybody thank you again we've made it to 50 episodes all because of you who are tuning in every week and being a loyal listener and again those of you who are joining up every week please go and listen to previous episodes we will not be disappointed we've only gotten better over time and we will continue to do better but go and enjoy the front office combo at smoke shack this weekend everybody go and get that you will not be disappointed as well and on that note jet you know what to do brother Later, bitches. Hell of a show. Hell of a show.